I think what we're, I feel like what we're, what we're nailing down here is uh, issues of violence, issues of power. Um, that uh, these are, these are about, um, about trying. These are about uh, humanity apart from uh, doing God's will. Um, and apart from the kind of peace, something you said earlier that I think is, um, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it for certain, um, um, and this, uh, you know, 60% of what I try to say theologically is just regurgitated Hawass most of the time, but, um, but, uh, I try to regurgitate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, uh, but it seems to me that, that part of, Part of the creation narrative and the fall narrative is it's such that a peace is, is the normative reality. So much of the way we tend to look at life is violence is the normative reality. Peace is the exception. Um, we do violence to get peace. Uh, you know, one of the famous Western heroes, uh, Wyatt Earp, carried the peacemaker. And so you shoot people, you get peace. I argue that you shoot he when Wyatt Earp used the peacemaker. What you had afterwards wasn't peace it was death but um but here this is the way we think um and and we have a tendency to try to uh, always uh, our minister today talk was talking about our worship he read from Isaiah 1 where the lord says i'm i'm not satisfied with your worship and um he drew some wonderful conclusions, uh, not the least of which is that so much of what we do, um, I'm using we here to speak of uh, sort of the standard Christian, uh, typical Christian uh, worldview, is is take these, take our worldly systems, our worldly uh, kingdom of the world uh, thoughts, and uh, assumptions, and we just sort of uh, attach scriptures to them, um, rather than see. Uh, here, I'm also reminded of of the fact we sit, we we read the the Lord's we recite the Lord's prayer every Sunday. What is it that Jesus says? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So. Uh, that Jesus saw that thought that the kingdom was supposed to be something we're doing, we're working out here on this earth, um, as opposed to, as you said earlier, something we're just waiting on in the future. Until then, it's going to be uh-huh. it's going to be business as usual, um, uh-huh. which hopefully you know brings us around to where I think um, I think what we want to do is talk about um, what what we hope that forging plowshares. Um, is going to be doing um, and what how, what the idea is and what it is we hope how it is we hope that it helps uh, address some of the things that we're talking about but maybe I just like talking theoretical but let me uh, <laughs> the the uh, you know the Wyatt Earp illustration uh, you shoot the bad guy he's dead well that is a kind of peace it's just not Christian peace. There you go. And so to con- confuse those two. The other thing, you know, the, the structural aspect to it was, I think, what we've hinted at. And so with the very title, Forging, I don't think the the forging part is not, oh, we're going to forge peace where it was, you know, where it's uh, uh, absent or we're going to forge it from scratch. But rather the kingdom is 
tendencies of violence are no longer those things that control us or have power. So just once you get that part, that one is enabled to forge plowshares or one is enabled to to uh, have an initiative of peace because of an already existing peace in Christ. So that, that aspect, uh, you know, uh, I think is the first part, that in a sense we enjoy a peace, whether it's psychoanalytical or, you know, in community or uh, that we, we receive this peace and our job is just to, to enjoy it, to bear the fruit. So that's step one is don't imagine that through the your own initiative uh, you can create this thing. No, that would be like uh, shooting Wyatt Earp's Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. But once you got that straight, then can we do something to cultivate peace? And, of course, that's the image of the plowshare is that it's uh, an instrument of planting and of cultivating and the pruning hook of harvesting, and the Christian, the, the what the Christian is about is not death dealing, because the kingdom of God is not controlled by those necessities. And so, as Christians, we are not necessarily gonna, you know, the, there was an original plowshares by, uh, you know, a, a, a radical movement, but uh, the is set to destroy nuclear weapons or, you know, Father Berrigan. Uh, but I, I think in a sense that's a misconstrual of two kingdoms. Uh, yeah, the kingdom, those kingdoms of this world are always going to be deadly violent. The kingdom of God is to be salt and light, but in no way can we transform the kingdoms of this world into the peacemaking kingdom of God, but we can infect. So at Plowshares, we're doing, we're doing several things. Just uh, life together, the community that we have here, uh, that we, we meet together in a very different uh, fashion. Uh, that, you know, a kind, I'm not saying there's only one form that this can take, but I do think that small communities of people uh, can learn to receive God's good gifts of grace through other people. In other words, how does God grace us? Well, he gives us people. He gives us uh, friends, like, uh, you know, and, and in that fellowship. I don't know that we receive God's grace and mercy and love uh, apart from other people, and that's the strange thing, you know, that we imagine this is some sort of uh, thing that's funneled into our brain from outer space in some way. Paul, but talk no, about talk about the church a little bit, the, the purpose of it. Let's get ecclesiological for a minute, um, because that is, uh, there's six or seven things you just said that are, uh, we could we could tear down each one of them. I mean, tear down destructively. I mean, uh, run down each one of them um, um, for quite some time. But, you know, here is a very important uh, thing, and also uh, something I think Bonhoeffer, again, has a lot to say about. Um, I think uh, Wendell Berry has quite a bit to say about when you start talking about other people, um, talk a little bit about the 
the the kingdom and other people. And I I am kind of interested in juxtaposing it with the very individualist uh, uh, tendencies of our culture. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think that you almost need to understand what the church is to understand our ecclesiology. You almost need to go back and redo your anthropology. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine that a person is uh, an individual or that we are constituted as persons individually, uh, you're misreading even the very first you know, chapters of Genesis. In the beginning, God created man, but how many of them were there? There were two. He's a male and female, that we are created as a plurality of persons, the male-female relationship being the center of the family, the family being the center of society. And so we're constituted as people in community. We are not human beings apart from a plurality of persons. That's a physiological fact, but it's also a spiritual fact that we need to get a handle on to appreciate how you're saved. Are you saved individually? You know, can or are you saved by being a part of the body of Christ? Well, clearly, you cannot be saved in a New Testament sense apart from joining this alternative community, this alternative body, because we are reconstituted, and that's Paul's description, you know, of the, uh, the body inner working together. Uh, oh, that's when you become truly human, is when you uh, join a, a community, a body in that sense. So ecclesiology cannot be separated from soteriology. How are you saved? You're saved in the church. Uh, as far as I know, there is no discussion of New Testament salvation apart from corporate, pluralistic, uh, embodied uh, community. And so what we have very often in a Western or, uh, you know, it's not just Western. I was in Japan 20 years, and it's infected every place that, that uh, Western Christianity has gone. Is that, but we have this notion of a kind of absolute individual, and that when we're saved, it's that individual that in some way is, you know, it transformed in his interior status, theoretically. Well, that's just nonsense, because that's not what we are. We're not, uh, we're not, you know, we're not these machines, you know, it's not that the ghost in the machine is really who we are. No, we're embodied, and, and that's part of what it means to be a plurality of persons. So that's, you know, when we do church, uh, so much of church is geared to a kind of isolated individualism, the whole function and form of our formal worship does not take into account just our need for community. I don't know how much community you know, takes place in most formal worship services. And so I'm not sure it qualifies as worship in any Christian sense. Uh, I think it makes for very good Greek worship uh, or pagan worship. I think that so much of paganism in various forms have creeped into uh, American Christianity. So, yeah, that that would be the summation, is that ecclesiology 
uh, is the very foundation of salvation. Well, and uh, it seems to me that it's also um, very much at the center of what we mean when we talk about doing peace in in the world. That um, the church, uh, definitely for Bonhoeffer and and life together, you you referenced. Um, I, I, I believe it was you, you referenced earlier um, Bonhoeffer um, in uh, in this respect. Um, that uh, in in Nazi Germany, when uh, he lives in a very violent place and there's uh, there's so much evil there, uh, he turns to uh, his friends uh, for fellowship. And when when he's in prison, um, he's writing to his friends. He's just needing. This reminds me of Paul in prison. Um, that the the church is that. Um, that people that have learned is supposed to be that people that have learned to live peacefully um, with one another as Christ demonstrated to his disciples um, and and that doesn't I, I'm thinking now of my church um, that doesn't always mean that there's not going to be um, uh, conflict in fact there's always going to be conflict but that we do conflict, um, we try to do conflict in such a way that we're not trying to destroy each other, but we're we're trying to um, we're trying to be together, um, even though uh, we don't always understand one another. Um, I think what what you get what you get in the life of Bonhoeffer is this is a guy who who very much enjoyed people. He loved people. And uh, you, you know, just the, even in in the, in the worst of circumstances, you know, you read the, his prison letters that uh, even in prison, people are flocking around him because uh, he just uh, has this profound foundation of love for people. And if that's the given foundation, which make no mistake, it's often not. Then, when conflict arises. Uh, you have that that over you know that guiding love that is you know that's this Paul's whole discussion in Romans 14. Uh, what are you going to do? What is your ethic? How does it function? Well, it functions with this deep sensitivity to the needs of your brother whom you love, and that is the new ethic. Uh, as, as an alternative to. Um, what I think we find in the world is, a, that, again, that very individualist, uh, you know, it's not surprising to me that you're saying you find it in Japan. I think we can find it um, all the way back in the book of Judges, that uh, what is it that every person does? Uh, judges closes. You know, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And uh, that kind of world is not hard for us to imagine. I think that's what we, that's what we live in. And um, and so the um, you know the church as an alternative to that is going to look very different. Um, instead, I feel like what what frequently gets mistaken for church is just sort of a religious expression of that individualism that says uh, you know here we are to have a religious experience and to um, to feel a certain way, uh, to remind ourselves that we're in the going to heaven club, 
and um, and and to justify um, the things that uh, that we uh, the lifestyle that we have, perhaps. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't think that you know. I don't mean in any way to set aside feelings, but I think the feelings that people are attempting to generate are those ecstatic. Uh, kind of, you know, uh, reaching out to some sort of beatific vision in which their emotion is one that is, you know, a kind of God and me sort of understanding. And so it is a completely vertical focus and the horizontal focus, uh, in the very setup of this, you know, the very, you know, the monologue of the sermon, the, the singing that is, uh, geared toward, uh, I think, departure more than uh, community. I think the whole thing then speaks a Christianity that that is just the surface level of a theology that imagines that salvation is something that happens in my head. Uh, I don't know that it matters much what happens in your head. Let me, you know, you could state this in a kind of a heretical notion. You know, how important is belief? Well, I think the wrong kind of belief, the notion that belief is this interior activity of affirmation, oh, I don't think that matters much at all, if that's what your belief system is, that you accept Jesus in your heart. Yeah, but uh, that probably, uh, if it, that's as far as it goes, doesn't amount to much. Is what, that too strong? What, what, <laughs> what, <laughs> well, you, uh, you know, I, I'm always trying to determine if I'm, if, I, the other day I said something to somebody on Facebook and I made a statement. He said, oh, I wouldn't go that far. And I said, oh, I would. And uh, he said, I know you would because you just did. Um <laughs> Um, well, that's why I like you so much, because you're just willing to go as far as we want to go. You, you know, <laughs> you know um, I, I've never been, I, I don't, I have a, a great deal of respect for the prophets. And um, and this is something I think that, that plays into our ideas about what we think doing peace, living peacefully as Christians is about. That that does not mean, again, I think you mentioned this earlier, just being nice. Um, or being polite. I think, you know, where I live, the culture where I live, the Christian culture where I live, um, you know, it's very much uh, assumed that we're going to kill one another. But Christianity is never impolite. Um, you know, yeah, and, if, you, if you stab each other in the back, you'll grin when you do it. Right. And, and that is actually <laughs> the opposite. That is very much the opposite of Christian peace and Christian nonviolence. That we are sometimes going to have to be so truthful that it's actually pretty brutal, but um, a brutal truthfulness. And I don't mean—I really don't mean this flippantly. I don't—I don't mean going out trying to harm people with the truth. But we're going to have—if we're going to be truthful um, and do peace again, this is how it was. You're going to have to—you're uh, going to have to be able to speak as honestly as possible, because so much of what's at the heart of violence is um, an unwillingness to uh, deal with conflict 
until it gets to this point where we're ready to harm one another. Um, you're going to have to face a conflict, and you're going to have to be very intentional about, uh, of, uh, about communicating with one another, um, and sometimes even intentional. You know, you talk about feelings. Uh, I was in a conversation with my preacher one day, and we were not agreeing, and it was, it, it was tense. Um, he and I had a very serious disagreement, but it was one of those deals where I was even having trouble maintaining my composure. I was pretty upset. Um, and, but there was no violence. Uh, it was us figuring out this conflict that we had with one another. Um, this is, this means that, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm not just running off on a tangent here, but I think it's well, important. I think, I think the word truth, you know, you need to run that down a bit because what we often imagine is that we have some capacity for the truth when, in fact, our entire life is infected by deception and lies, and we don't know it. And that's the picture in the New Testament is that, that uh, the very problem that we have is uh, we can't tell a truth from a non-truth. We have been grounded in a deception. Right. Who we are is a deception. And everything we speak. So the, the transferal from Christ to, or rather from the world to Christ, the transferal to the truth, uh, constitute, reconstitutes the very notion of what truth is. Yeah, this is, uh, M. Scott Peck's old book on the people of the lie is very insightful here. That if you want to, if you want to locate somebody who's truly evil, and he's usually talking about people in the church and Christians, uh, the way to do this is to see their, how they handle the truth. If they're liars, and you know they just kind of spout lies, um, that's a sign that you're dealing with somebody who's uh, narcissistically malignant, uh, and that the evil there is unfortunately, uh, if they imagine that they are Christians, is beyond redemption. So there is this profound perversion of the truth. So to speak truth is not simply, uh, you know, to correct somebody that may involve that or is not. But truth then is, I think, to be reconstituted uh, and redefined in Christ. And once you get that, once you get the idea of the degree to which deception and lies are a systemic logic that have controlled us outside of Christ, then I think you may be prepared for a little truth. Oh, that's, there's, again, so much there. And it, uh, once again, I feel like I'm running right back to the, to the temptation of fallen narrative, but it is lies that are at the heart of the whole thing. I read a uh, I read an article uh, several weeks ago, uh, written by some blogger I can't remember who, and it was uh, something had to do with seven different um, things that surprisingly people in the church are okay with, and one of the things that he mentioned was lying. That uh-huh. and I can tell you I've been I've been in uh, I'm, I'm going to try to be very careful about this. I've been in meetings with a Christian college administration. Where um, we were considering, and I might edit this out, I don't know, um, but we were trying to consider hiring somebody, and um, the re- the reason 
that they didn't want to hire a specific person um, wasn't the reason that they were they were prepared to say. And I, I remember saying, but but could we say the reason you're saying you don't want to hire this person? Could we tell that person we weren't going to hire them for that reason? Oh no, no, you can't say that. Well, wait just a minute. Is that true? So you know, I'm thinking similarly to the way the new perspective people have talked about uh, faith and faithfulness. Um, and when they're in talking about justification, I wonder if we are what we're talking about is truth and truthfulness that uh, living lives where it is a uh, intentional commitment that we make to be truthful uh, no matter what. Now, it's not a good way to get ahead in the world. Uh, but no, then again, no. neither has the kingdom yeah. ever been that. So, yeah, so, yeah it's, uh, I, you know, you can, what you're describing, you had an encounter with evil people. And I, I, I know people would, you know, maybe, uh, has, I think I tend to be a bit naive in this, that you, somebody lies, and you kind of say, well, yeah, but, uh, but, but then they lie again, and, they, and you realize it's habitual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't know it. They just are there, you know, uh, and by the line, not, not anything big, just, you know, kind of. Uh, and it's interesting, college administrators, because that's precisely, you know, where people who seek power and seek to keep power, uh, very, you know, already you're describing uh, something that, we sort of accept, there's a kind of a cultural acceptance of the pursuit of power as if that's all right, as, as if, you know, well, it's a good Christian organization. Uh, no, I think that people that want to be in positions of power and leadership are precisely the people that you don't want there because they're willing to do what it takes to get there. The people you want to you know, in leadership are not people who are chosen and, you know, chosen themselves, but in some way we all find ourselves in positions of leadership. And the question is then how do you exercise that power? Do you exercise it in such a way that you're going, you know, if, if, if you've been in some way you've had to gain this or fight for it, then the temptation is too great to keep your power, your leadership, by misconstruing the truth. And that's just, uh, that's pervasive and obviously in secular organizations, but in as much as Christian institutions, uh, you and I have together probably have, what, 50 years in huh. higher education and higher you know, Christian institutions, and, and it's just what you continually run up against, is the people running the place are corrupt. Mm-hmm. They're corrupted because precisely because they they they've sought power